You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. I think about what Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter, chapter 6, the one of the most, if not the most, misquoted verses in all the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money's neutral. Money can be used for evil. Money can certainly be used for good. It's not money. It's the love of money. And it, I heard it said this way. It's not what you have. It's what has you. Today, we'll reflect on the temptation to trust in riches, not in God. Pastor J.D. will talk about the issues caused by excessive wealth in this world. The love of money is the root of all evil. Accumulating wealth on earth is foolish because you'll leave everything behind when you die. Instead, Jesus encourages us to store up treasures in heaven. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 49 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Psalm 49. This is to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah again, verse 1. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark sayings on the harp. Remember now, this is a song. Why should I fear in the days of evil? When the iniquity at my heels surrounds me, those, verse 6, who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly. You know what that's referring to. And it shall cease forever that, verse 9, he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought, verse 11, is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. That's true to this day, by the way, isn't it? That streets are named after wealthy people. Towns and cities are named after very wealthy people. Nevertheless, man, verse 12, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings, Selah. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God, I like that, verse 15, 
But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. You've heard it said, I'm sure, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I'll just give you a minute to think about that, right? (laughs) You, You don't take it with you. You do not carry anything away. Like Job said, naked I came into this world, and naked I will leave this world. So when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend, keyword after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go Verse 19, to the generation of his fathers, they shall never see light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. What an interesting psalm, right? So Psalm 49 is about the utter folly of one trusting in their riches, and you'll forgive me for saying it this way, at the expense, no pun intended, of trusting in God. One who has put all of their trust in their wealth. And here, the psalmist so eloquently, even poetically, provides us with the reasons as to why it is that trusting in one's wealth is so foolish, one of which is that he will leave it all behind when he dies. He takes nothing with him. Another reason it's utter folly is because one can have all the wealth in the world, but it'll be meaningless and empty, especially when it comes to redemption, redeeming his own life or even the life of another. There's a story that's told of John Jacob Astor, who was a very wealthy man. He made his wealth in the 1800s, and he happened to be on the ill-fated Titanic. And when it was discovered that he was one of the multitude that had perished at sea, his cousin was asked, how much did the billionaire leave? Answer, everything. That's how much he left. Everything, all of his riches. Jesus in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verses 36 and 37 said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or, interesting, verse 37, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Oh, you'd be surprised. I was thinking about Proverbs 1.19 this afternoon as I was preparing for the study tonight. Listen to this. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. The very thing that wealth produces is it takes away the life of the one who possesses it. And so here's a man 
who attains and amasses great amounts of wealth is extremely wealthy. And I know you're thinking of, you know, (laughs) certain men when I say this, that I mean are so very wealthy. What will they exchange for their soul? What will they give? What will they do in order to attain? Is there no limits to what they'll do in order to attain wealth? I think it was Rockefeller who was asked, how much more money do you need? Something like that. And his answer was more. (laughs) I just need more. Yeah. A little more. Yeah. I mean, what? What? So it's been said that money can buy you a house, but it cannot buy you a home. I mean, there are certain things that money just cannot buy. When I was, uh, many years when I was uh, much younger and I worked for Mercedes-Benz, I had the occasion to meet and do business with some very wealthy people. I mean, very wealthy people. And I was just this young, I was a young believer, but I was also a young, very impressionable young man. And I was really kind of interested in these people. And it wasn't long before I'm sitting across the desk from this very wealthy uh, buyer. And they're, they're just opening up to me about all of their problems. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And you know what was really ironic about it? Was that many of their problems were due to the amassing of wealth. I think about what Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter, chapter 6. The, one of the most, if not the most, misquoted verses in all the Bible The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money's neutral. Money can be used for evil. Money can certainly be used for good. It's not money. It's the love of money. And I heard it said this way. It's not what you have. It's what has you. So, I mean, in other words, sometimes God will entrust Christians with the wealth and the things of this world because he knows that they can have those things and it won't mess them up. But boy, I tell you, I, I've met very wealthy people who are really messed up because they're very wealthy. And what comes packaged with that is just problem after problem after problem. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. I want to spend just a little bit of time, if you don't mind, in verses 19 through 24. This is the famous, well-known Sermon on the Mount. One is referred to it as the Sermon on the Amount, <laughs> because it deals with this very issue. Jesus is speaking, and he says, verse 19, Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves and the IRS break in and steal. No, that's not in the original. I'm sorry. That's not in. That's in the JDV. That's not in the. Anyway, verse 20. Instead, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves Do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. And then he says this, very interesting. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is why Jesus would also say it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And one of the reasons is, is because you cannot. Notice he doesn't say you should not. It'd be a good idea if you did not. No, he says you cannot. It's an impossibility. It's one or the other. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. And by the way, uh, key word serve, you're going to be a slave to money. I, <laughs> I met many business owners who you know, would say, well, I own this business, but the truth of the matter is they, the business owned them. They were a slave to that business. That business dictated everything in their life. So what's Jesus saying here? He said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. If you lay up for yourselves treasures, by the way, <laughs> Throughout the rest of this chapter in Matthew 6, it is the cure, and I mean the cure, for worry. This is for anyone who is prone to worry, especially when it comes to finances. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19 all the way through to verse 34, is the cure for worry. So what does Jesus say here? He says, if you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, you're going to worry about something happening to it. The more you have, the more you worry about what you have. That's why sometimes what you have can have you. It keeps you up at night. You're worrying about it. You've amassed all this wealth, and now you worry about something happening to it. You worry about the stock market crashing. You worry about the real estate market crashing. You worry about this. You worry about that. Why? Because you have so much. You have so much to worry about. So what Jesus is saying is, why don't you transfer that into heaven? You won't have to worry about it. You won't have to worry because nothing's going to happen to it up there. It's vulnerable down here. Anything can happen. And here's the thing. <laughs> Don't trust in your riches. I think of that proverb. It basically goes like this. It's very uh, dramatic, for lack of a better word. It's a great image. So it basically goes like this. Don't feast your eyes on wealth. Don't look at your wealth. Trust in your wealth. Put your hope in your wealth. Because, here's why, very interesting. It will grow wings... And fly away to the heaven. Bye-bye. <laughs> Is that not what wealth does? Wealth has the propensity to evaporate, deteriorate. Never put your trust in it. But when you send it ahead, 
stored up in heaven. Store yourselves up for yourselves treasures in heaven. No moth, no rust, no thief, no thing is going to get to it and steal it or destroy it. Very interesting. There's a story that's told, of course, fictitious, but I think it illustrates it very well. So a wealthy man dies and goes to heaven. And there he is. And because he was so wealthy on earth, he's expecting this beautiful and magnificent mansion to await him, you know, in heaven. And so he gets there only to be shown this broken down shack. I mean, bus up, just kind of off in the distance, out in the middle of nowhere. And so perplexed, he asks, why the shack and where's the mansion? And he's told that they did the best they could with the money he sent ahead. (laughs) And this was all they could. I'm sorry. I mean, this is all you laid up. This is all we had to work with. We did the best. We had to get some used lumber. Again, fictitious, obviously, but it does illustrate the point, doesn't it? Psalm 50. We're introduced to Asaph. He's one of the psalmists. He's also one of three worship leaders, if you will. During David's reign as king, he authored a number of the Psalms, and Psalm 50 is one of them. Verse 1, the mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God, verse 3, shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, verse 5, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge, Selah. Key word, judge. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 7, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Remember we talked about that last week, the emphasis on I. I am your God. They're not your God. That's not your God. Money's not your God. I am your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. This is where that famous saying comes from. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Well, it's kind of not really the context of the psalm. Verse 11, I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Remember in our study through the book of Job, fascinating study. When we talked about all of the beasts of the field, all of the animals, all of God's creation answer to him. 
and do as he commands. Verse 12, this is uh, weird. (laughs) If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Now this, of course, is, you know, rhetorical in a way. For the world is mine and all its fullness. God's going somewhere with this. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. That verse in and of itself, I could preach a whole sermon on it. And you know I could. I won't, but I could. Call upon me in the day of trouble? I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. There are three facets to that one verse that say it all. Let me explain. Call upon me. Pray. When you're in trouble, that's when we pray, isn't it not? James says, is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. You don't have to tell me to pray when I'm in trouble. (laughs) When I'm in trouble, I pray. So he's saying, call upon me when you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Pray. Call upon me. I will hear you. I will deliver you. And you will glorify me. This is what Jesus said. You ask anything that is according, that will bring glory to my Father according to my will, which is the will of God, and I will do it. Wait, what? Jesus said that if you ask anything of me that glorifies the Father, it's a done deal. That's what the psalmist is saying in verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Anything we ask in prayer of God that brings glory to the Father, we can consider it a done deal. We will have that answer. Period. That's the qualifier though. It has to bring glory to the Father. If it brings glory to the Father then we can have that which we ask for. That's the key. That's the key to answered prayer and the power of prayer. But, verse 16, we're told, to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you, When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. That's an interesting way to say it. In other words, you you couch everything in terms of lies and deceit. The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds. The authors' lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God, always in control and forever loving His creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
we do treasure our connection with our listeners, we'd like you to be a part of our social media community. Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.